Welcome to episode number 3 of The Serpent and the Star. We'll continue going through the 7 basic principles and archetypes as they are seen in the Star of Azazel system. Last time we covered Moon and Linga Sharira, Mars and Kama, and Mercury and Buddhi. So in this episode we focus on Jupiter, Atma, Venus, Manas, Saturn, Kama Manas and Sun, Prana. Since the decision to split this discussion into two was made after we did the recording, whenever we speak of the last episode or something similar, we most likely refer to the very first episode of this podcast. Now, let us get right into it. I am joined again by brother Nefastos and sister Polyhymnia. So onwards to Thirsty's hymn. Hymn to the Lord of the Throne. Descendit pluvia et venerunt flumina, et flaverunt venti, et in roerunt in domumillam, et non cecidit, fundata enim, erat super petram. Abba, Baal, pater omnipotens aithere, the stormbringer, holy and virginal, ancient and eternally living force. Azazayel, Satkviel, holder of the lightning scepter, King crowned with power, Pantocrator. As the vessel of the Only One, I sit under the throne upon the mountain top, within the shrine of your prominently avalanching clouds. Videbam Satanan sicut fulgur de celocadentem, et verbum caro factum est, et habitavit in nobis. Erat autem aspectus eius sicut fulgur, et vestimentium eius sicut nix. By the imperishable stone, I shine forth your power, Father. You are my strength. Amen, Amen, Amen. First of all, this would be the clearest uh, counterpart to the Monday's mother. Very, very father and father figured and uh, masculine undertone. Yeah, there are there are two the Mars and Jupiter in their own own ways, and both Mars and Jupiter him also have these subtle feminities, feminines in in them. But you are definitely right. Which brings to mind. Uh, Again, on a general note more, um, this that I just want to mention briefly, that when we talk about genders here, uh, at least I don't really think about at all physical sexes, like someone, as we see people in in real life, as men or women or something something else, it's not really about that. I, I can understand that this can be again maybe a turn off to some to use these these uh, gender terms, but uh, at least it helps me to think that that it has really not that much to do with like physical sexes. I think it might also help our um, contemporary world to 
learn how these sexes genders are not the same as our physical bodies they they are symbols they have so much in them uh, and to read these things in a strict sense is doomed that can't happen in occultism in, if you are occultist and try to think that men are men and women are women then that's how it always goes and must go you, you are missing so so much of that depth that it, it can't just go very far this is by the way one reason why i, ha I have some problems with uh, julius evola who seems to have some kind of masculinity com complex in his books or even though they are brilliant in many ways um i don't know if i mentioned it last podcast i feel like i did but maybe it's because i just recount this story so many times that one day it'll be soa legend um <laughs> but this hymn i'm fairly certain was the first hymn that i ever attempted within the soa structure so it's very dear to me um, for kind of being the hymn that cemented my practice within the SOA. And not only that, but it was the hymn that, because um, I really struggled with that for probably a period of almost six months where I was like, am I a Satanist? Like, I don't know if I can get my head around this, even still, as I'm doing the practices and everything, but I really struggled with that. And then it was on a trip, that same trip that summer, to go visit Frost Sylveon. And I was driving through, I live in the prairie region of Canada, so it's very flat and it's very boring to look at. And he lives in this beautiful island on the coast region now. And But to drive through, you have to drive through the Rocky Mountains, which is, it's Canada's wonder. It's like the most beautiful place. And I was thinking about this hymn as I was driving through the mountains and I turned to this corner and it was physically witnessing like the shrine of avalanching clouds coming down the mountain and i had to pull over i was so overwhelmed and that was it for me like i just recited the hymn and i felt so like that lightning moment that you mentioned before like when you you touch the inner master like that for me was was my lightning moment my, my first one i've had many since but that was the first one for me and i just pulled over and i wept because i was just so touched and overwhelmed by what I was seeing and it was just yeah it was it was unbelievable so this hymn for me and also because of the correspondence um, for me I have like a personal physical practice that goes along with these so I associate Thursday with the throat chakra or the Vashuddha and again with that being the magical element that I use the most it's the most holistic hymn for myself personally, just physically, spiritually, emotionally. I just, I love it. It's one of my yeah. favorites. Actually, again, something I can relate to strongly uh, in the hymn. Um, there are mentions of mountains, uh, as you said, thrones upon the mountain top, and, and uh, I was hiking in the northern fin Finnish Lapland last summer and one one Thursday we went up I'm not sure what what would be the right is it it's hill or mountain but on, on Finnish scale pretty high <laughs> hill anyway and uh, th there was uh, mm, 
view to every di- directions only basically wasteland or or, or n- nature just <laughs> pure nature all around and and uh, a lot of rocks piles of rocks lying all around and i was thinking that well here i am in in the wilderness very like azazel types of surroundings there and i'm i'm, si- I'm sitting on a mountain top and reciting this thursday hymn uh, so yeah it was a very powerful powerful prayer very concretely you can see the piles of rock that your god is buried under and and there you are on your throne i'm also very happy to hear hear that uh it works in english language because i remember vividly when i was translating this hymn uh to english and in finnish it's a little bit different the avalan- prominently avalanching clouds is like esin vyrvien pilviesi pyhäkössä like something is uh, how would you Beshira say it in english it doesn't refer to avalanche exactly but i try to catch the meaning but since i don't know english so well i wasn't aware if you can say it in that way but it sounds that you can and it works so very good yeah it's it's a very um that that part has become quite dear to me actually how would i translate it like a sanctuary of your uh well i i i see an image of of someone sitting on 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 a throne on a mountain and there are just clouds pouring in uh and you are looking at a site which reminds me reminds me a lot of then again this uh mother archetype and what what uh the the moon hymn for example has to do with uh visions and 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 uh, astral images and all that which as everything can be used in very harmful ways but in essence they are a gift uh and in in this uh, thursday scene i think those elements kind of come together in very very beautiful ways yes that's very good way to say it and once again we see that uh, balancing thing that uh, here in the so-called masculine hymn those things that below uh, avalanche are like substantial even though usual the masculine part is the one is not not so substantial and likewise in the hymn to the mother goddess those visions are not material but astral and spiritual it always goes like this paradox always the sanskrit correspondency would be atma which could be translated as will although i i tend to think that this uh, mm, so to say pure archetypes as they are are never exactly 
what these translations uh, bring to mind. I would say I wouldn't say Atma is will. I wouldn't say Buddhi uh, um, is love. Like like I guess I said earlier, but but there is definitely a, a strong connection to this, and will is especially important uh, in occultism and especially in left-hand path-oriented occultism in good and in bad uh, ideas. Yesterday we just had our Lucifer Lodge meeting about the will aspect and consider this Atman uh, correspondence with will in quite quite a depth. Um, of course the old Upanishadic idea of the Atman is Brahman and one's innermost self is the God itself uh, is something that refers to very different kind of will than our profane usual desire kind of willing. This will is our most essential uh, form of being. Uh, it could be said that first is this will and then the human being is being constructed around that will by karma. Uh, and this is also the reason why here we have a little bit different um, sevenfold system than that esoteric theosophy that I mentioned earlier because Blavatsky says that Atma is not part of that sevenfold system exactly, uh, but instead she uses in her esoteric instructions the principle of uh, auric egg, the auric envelope, uh, meaning that our Jupiter aspect in human mm, correspondence construction is this uh, aura uh, that is the fundamental energy of our being. This is once again very deep thing and it's not even necessary to think about it from the beginning. That's one reason why in our Star of Azazel system we have still Atma instead of that auric envelope. But what's important is to understand that this will of Atman or Atma is our innermost essence, the so-called telos. I always uh, interpreted will when looking at this hymn to be not like the inner desires per se, like like will in that sense, but like truly how we feel. Like when we talk about um, doing like every the the will to do the right thing so making sure that that's an authentic part of yourself and an authentic thought process is not just doing what's right for the sake of any other reason other than it's the right thing to do so i know that for me focusing on that has been really assessing my own thought processes and um, evaluating the reasons why i'm doing things i always try to do make the right choices and and do the right things and never really think about my own will, which I guess relates to 
Tuesday's theme of self-sacrifice. Um, but I truly think that it really matters what um, is in your heart. And that for me is what the Thursday hymn, my brain train just completely exploded. Yeah. <laughs> I think you guys know what I'm trying to say, but I yeah, completely de- lost the train. De- definitely. And, and like you said, that it's it's in the heart. Uh, that's the part where the Upanishadic Atman dwells. It's said in those uh, old Sanskrit texts that this Atman is the small uh, human being, small man that lives in one's heart. It's in the very core of being that will. And I Thank think you that, for saving me again. Uh, no, no. no. Uh, and also you, you used the word uh, authentic like Beshira earlier, did you say wholesome, or you both found like the very precise words to uh, catch that meaning of this heart will being everywhere and defining your actual spiritual being. It's just not one like tiny aspect, but it's very wholesome and very authentic. Yeah, it's always interesting and inspiring how there's a point where where kind of the self and the no-self meet and how paradoxically... Uh, well, I tend to think, th- think uh, a lot of occult matters based on this idea of the lower and the higher, higher self and in the eyes of the lower self, it can something that seems like diminishing can actually be growing into something larger, and it hasn't doesn't have to do in in the case of Atma doesn't have to do with your small persona and what you would like to do or how would you like to rule others with your iron will or whatever. But it's quite the opposite. A big left hand path mistake also yes people often might think that uh, this more also right hand path oriented philosophy of ours would mean that we surrender our will to someone else uh, even though actually it's finding our actual will by not making it petty by identifying it with our low lowest desires of course those low desires are part of our being but they are not the defining part of it so then friday's hymn hymn to the son of dawn lucifer you are my love You are the understanding in me. You are the beauty in all that is beautiful, the bringer of light and the mother of darkness, the serpent and the star, the flame and the soul of the deep. Through you have all beings being made. To you will everything return. O holy virgin, hear me. O mother of all ideas, you who gave birth to Ophiomorphos, our redeemer. Beyond all manifestation, I see your perfection, the light within the bosom of purest night. 
Anima mea desidera vite in nocte, sed et spiritu meo in precordis meis demane vigilabo arte. Anael, Hagiel, Sarabocres, num quid postortum tuum precepisti diluculo et ostendisti aurore locum suum. Teadoro, magister noster, plenum gratie et veritatis, in celum conscendam super astradei. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, as said, one of the one of the dearest ones for me since since the beginning and still going strong. <laughs> Although now that I think of it, it's mm, the kind of feel that I associate with this probably has started to give room to to those other hymns so that it doesn't stand out as much at it, uh, as much as it it used to it's more like uh, among the others but uh, still there are some some parts in that that are very very dear to me and often often come to mind spontaneously <laughs> it might be that the hymn to lucifer is kind of like a microcosm or the seed of our whole working in in some ways mm, I too started feeling this one as the most important to me like the whole Lucifer Venus archetype or deity but nowadays I've been <laughs> actually for a long time to find a new kind of mm, emphasized relationship with it uh, I feel that because I have done so much working with the other archetypes I have I have had to uh, empower the more masculine parts and other uh, aspects uh, this master Lucifer has somehow mm, grown more more distant to me in a way not not in like an actual uh, soulful union but in the practical level and it's very <laughs> hard to bear because because i love it so much it's like your master uh, would have sent you on a long journey and you haven't seen him in a long time This one for me was instantaneous. Um, for me, it was one of the more like poetically beautiful, like written ones. Um, not that all the other ones aren't beautiful as well, but for me, this one really resonated in kind of that artistic poetic sense, which makes sense because it's Lucifer. Um, but even just visually, like the serpent and the star, the flame and the soul of the deep, those for me like brought up many pictorial images and even our podcast is serpent in the star it's derived from this hymn right so and i always just felt uh even like before the soa i always felt a, a very specific connection in working within occultism with the venus archetype whether that's you know venus of mythology or venus the planet that was always just something that um, resonated with me 
which again was kind of confusing having seen myself as more of like a masculine person for a large portion of my life is to be drawn to these very feminine divine archetypes um guess i was more feminine than i thought but um yeah with this one for i associate it with my heart so when i'm practicing it i always make a a big um effort to focus on the heart center and relate that with the venusian aspect of the day you were you saying about how this hymn in a way is a I don't remember the exact words, but I interpreted it so that it's kind of a image of the basis of our work, maybe. And this kind of wholesomeness, to me at least, is shown, for example, in the in the already mentioned the serpent and the star uh, pair of words, which also gave name to this podcast. Mm. Again, so many sides to this, so many interpretations that we could make. Uh, I think it's a it's a good good uh, symbol of of well uniting the hands that we have already talked about. How we have this this serpent and the kind of cunningness of the serpent and all that, but still, what is kind of glowing. Above the serpent is the guiding star that leads our way, leads our way, and there's also, I guess, some kind of connection to the serpent and the dove from the uh, New Testament and Jesus. Yes, and and also we can we can see it in a way that the serpent here is the serpent of Genesis, bringing to humankind that occult knowledge spiritual knowledge self-awareness which is in exoterical christianity accursed but in gnostic esoteric groups revered kept in in as our savior in a way and then this star in this context becomes that very emerald in the crown or on the forehead of serpent lucifer known also in many myths so it's the gem magic gem that brings us uh, esoteric magical knowledge and spiritual communion with uh, those divinities we can reach by our heart and meditation so it's something that uh, goes beyond and transcends our mundane being Uh, like for example when we are outside at night we have to rise our head to see those beautiful distant stars we can't behold them if we uh, gaze to the muddy earth below our exoteric mundane living in relation to that 
I'd like to mention the last words in the prayer that are in Latin, in Gelum Conscendam Superastra Dei, which translated is, I will, I will ascend into heaven above the stars of God. Uh, again, a pretty mind-blowing idea that that we not only say that it is possible to ascend above the stars of God, but we actually make a vow about it in mm. this in this uh, prayer. We we say that that's what we will do, and we add the la- the very last word, which is Amen, Amen, Ameth. By the way, the ending of each of the hymns, basically meaning, verily, this is the truth. Always very, very uh, striking when I come to that part of this prayer. I consider it also being one of the, not the most important, but uh, Im- still important aspects of the brotherhood to consider that Hebrews, that spiritual pride in our human being uh, to be something that we should uh, let to uh, ascend ourselves to make uh, from it the energy that drives us uh, upwards, gives us strength to transcend our pettiness. Yeah, and again, very Luciferian thought, this Hebrews, that that a man would claim that that it is possible possible for us to to ascend and become a god and become become something beyond God on some way. It's like absolutely ridiculous statement, but at the same time, it's what we must do. Yeah, and it's it's ridiculous, and it's also very scientific if you think about it. That we are now human beings because we have uh, evolved from something else, and it also tells us that we won't be human beings forever. We will continue evolving to better shapes even though that it's extremely slow and demanding process, even though it gets quickened by the self-aware processing of ourselves. I think the uh, that final line is very important to me as well, just in terms of what we talked about earlier about how, you know, with the failing of a physical body, even just the idea of that ascension brings like a lot of comfort to, you know, my very human mind that sometimes, you know, I don't want to think about, um, like I don't, I don't want to say that I like fear death or anything like that, but there are certain elements of fear within like the destruction of my body and the delineation or delineation within my nervous system. So the thought of that constant spiritual striving and that ascension upwards is just, it's very comforting in, in that rational mind that struggles with that end so it's yeah a very special hymn to me too one point i would like to mention as well that has actually found its way to my morning prayer which i i have seen to be a very good idea to do to start today with a prayer um and it's the part where is spoken of the light within the bosom of purest night. Uh, 
and I try to remind myself of this light every morning. Actually, also, well, you mentioned death. I try to mention, uh, try to remind myself of death, as well as suffering of the world every morning. And the third point is this: light within the bosom of purest night. And uh, I tend to think of it in a way that uh, the purest night is is precisely where we let go of the pettiness of our lower personas and it looks like a night to us but actually the night is full of stars and uh, there is light within that darkness and that is in a way our only way to help the suffering and that's that's that I try to that's what I try to remind myself of every day mostly failing at it I guess but but uh, still something that keeps me going helps me I mean all we can do is our best right I don't think that you're failing just because sometimes it doesn't look the way that you want it to you know it's it's trying right like Nathis just said It's all about trying. That's all the master asks, is that we try. I was also thinking about um, the correspondence earlier. We were talking about the line with uh, the serpent and how I view that. I was touching on how um, with Friday's hymn, I try to open up my my heart center. That's my physical correspondence for that day and how it relates with uh, that serpent fire, that kundalini. So within like my yogic practice on Fridays, I really try to pay attention every day. I try to awaken that kundalini, but Friday specifically is one where I put that focus on that that serpent. And I, I think it says that in the actual translations to the serpent of Eden, giver of knowledge, the sacred fire, the spinal column that awakens the consciousness. So I try to put special emphasis on that and how it relates upwards into my heart area and the anahata there. And um, yeah, I think that that's, probably why it's one of the more important hymns for me because that's such an important element that vitality that keeps not only the physical body going but that spiritual body going Sanskrit correspondence for Venus would be Manas uh, roughly I have sometimes translated it as wisdom the higher mind the understanding which is not just about logical thinking and rationality but kind of a wider understanding what are your ideas on on manas once again very very wide matter but i think that's very good approach to the difficult word uh, intelligence also but not in your usual way of understanding it as reason logic mathematical ability memory not not any of those but this idea of consciousness thinking individuality and it's exactly that manasic principle that's given to human beings by the so-called fallen angels like It's um, said in Book of John, 
and Blavatsky's Secret Doctrine. Very good book in that regard, uh, opening the idea of um, another spiritual being uh, awakening the dormant mankind, humankind in our distant past and becoming our inner masters, so to say. But these are things that are perhaps uh, more interesting and more meaningful to think about oneself and slowly going into different kind of practices than just reading and uh, memorizing from some some textbook because those also easily uh, give wrong implications if you read them too hastily and uh, try to think occult works like they would be some kind of easy reference manuals which they are not and one red thread when discussing these principles in general is that well we have uh, talked about it in this discussion in some ways already but but they always uh, intertwine and uh, well this has been discussed in some Finnish circles at least quite a lot but uh, I'll just mention that for example I have seen that especially this well we talked about the higher and the lower triangle in the beginning and and uh, in in these Sanskrit terms the higher triangle is this Atma, Buddhi and Manas and especially in those three I feel that uh, they very much are present in each other in ways that it's, it's, it's kind of hard to look at them in any other way other than in connection with each, with each other like when we when we talk of manas it's something that i also connect with the buddhic heart center and the kind of some kind of experience very foreign to the kind of everyday life conception if it makes any sense I think even even though it might be easier to grasp the idea of the three principles being one, to think the higher trinity, how, for example, giving to humankind the monastic principle also gives us the buddhic and atmic at the same time. Uh, the same is actually going on in our so-called lower triad of the emotions, uh, bodily existence and uh, reason, because even though we can separate them on paper, uh, if we follow our actual life, we notice that we don't have any kind of separated intelligence that wouldn't be connected to our emotions or to, or our body. For example, if our body is somehow injured, of course, it uh, gives certain impulse to our 
reasoning ability and our emotions or uh, if our reasoning ability is somehow mm, um, we are making to it some too narrow um, manifestations it also brings definite results to our emotions and bodily energies and so on they are always very intimately connected to the point that they are the same in a way so we have two triangles that are both like <laughs> one substance we have one spiritual substance and one bodily substance and in in that way it becomes perhaps even reasonable to use those very simplistic for example christian ideas that in man uh, there is spirit and then there is body but in that way uh, it's not that how one usually thinks that the spirit is our um, reasoning and the body is our um, physical body but in that case in body there is our <laughs> bodily reasoning and bodily emotions and in that spirit there is this whole trinity of higher principles I think regarding intelligence, one way that I always looked at or approached this principle was that the idea of intelligence, as you said it, um, how we usually think about it as just more of a, you know, like intellect in terms of what we can make in terms of rationalizing and logic. It's like an IQ test, right? Like an IQ test is such a poor form of measuring somebody's intelligence. It doesn't take into account all of the other things that make for somebody to be intelligent. So like when you say that the principles merge like with booty and the other in the higher triad, like they they must fit into one another in some way because of that. It's just like the IQ test. It's not an apt representation if we're only focusing on just academic stature or something of the like right and for me i know that that was very difficult when i first thought about approaching that i always thought intelligence one of the reasons i went back to school was because i thought i wasn't smart enough to keep up with conversations so i was like oh i should probably go get further educated so i could do that but it became quickly apparent that that's not the kind of intelligence that it asks for so now i'm stuck in school and <laughs> <laughs> Pursuing, <laughs> pursuing academics when it was so, it was long the whole time. So you learned something interesting and important in school, after all. Yeah. A small side note uh, just came to mind uh, about how we tend to often make. I mean, people in general, this dichot dichotomy between uh, emotions and reason, it's a common common thing. And uh, I've thought about it that it's on like everyday life level, it's a very simplified way to look at the whole thing and maybe doesn't really apply because it's much much more complicated than that but uh, when esoterically we speak of the heart and the head for example um, like manas can be associated with the head buddhi with the heart and so on it's like a 
different discussion. It's a different thing. Uh, we are talking about kind of larger chunks of of uh, basic forms of our constitution. All right, we were talking about intelligence, so it's natural to. Well, we would go go to that anyway, but so Saturn and Saturday and uh, its correspondency being karma manas or intelligence or lower mind and so forth. Would you, Polyhymnia, kindly read us the Saturday's hymn? Yeah, so this is the hymn to the master of death. Agiel, Zazel, Zafkiel. Hear me, O father of vastness, god of darkness, angel of death, dark lord in front of the throne of truth. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. My feet lean upon the imperishable rock. O prince of darkness, father of death, lord of cold night, master of the frozen hell. Abrai, Shaddai, Shabbatai. In nomine lucis rationis augustissime, fiat nox, fiat nox, fiat nox. Super quo basis ilios solidates sunt, aut quis dimisit lapidem angularum eos, cum me laudarant, simul astra matutina, et jubilarant omnes filidei, numquid ingressus es profunda maris et in novissimis abisi deambulasti, numquid apertae, Tibi sunt porte mortis et ostia tenebrosa vedisti. Amen, amen, amen. The Saturnal archetype for me was uh, probably the hardest one to approach, uh, or at least one of them, along with with Mars. Uh, it always felt kind of a little bit colder to me. Like I can't really um, put my finger on like what it was that was so cold but even well i mean other than the references in the text itself like frozen hell but for me just the archetype itself seemed very um foreign to me in that way so i'm just looking at some of the correspondences here so the lower mind and intelligence which to me like so what does that mean, like the lower mind? That's also a concept that I, I don't really understand. I can't fully grasp what that lower mind entails. The lower mind is for us pretty much um, to what we are chained to here in this uh, existence that contains our personality, our karma, our suffering. I think you got into that archetype pretty well when you said that it's very cold and hard to approach and hard to understand because that's the uh, exact um, center of how it should be seen also. Like this uh, archetype of Saturn, especially for us, it is uh, the problem of suffering, problem of death, problem of being um, contained into this mind that is certainly not enough. Like we have our brain, our organism, 
our nervous system that gives us reality that's not completely spiritual, happy, magical, but also uh, suffocating in a way, uh, cutting us away from the wholeness of spiritual being. And that is the doorkeeper of Saturn, the one who uh, initiates us into mysteries, but also demands from us uh, so much, even too much, it's, it, it seems, quite often. And the archetype for this day, that's Satan, right? Is just Satan. I, I I think that even though that sounds quite weird, it's not a bad way to say it, because Satan is so immense being, uh, immense name, and Saturn is also very immense archetype. In the old world of these classical planets, it was the utmost uh, border of the whole universe. It was the last guardian of the whole being. Like it, it was the pole to the sun, which was the bright center of God. Saturn was the dark center of the devil. And it still is, in a way. Although now it, we have this uh, nice correspondence from finding planets beyond Saturn's sphere uh, and also we now understand better what Saturn or Satan is that he or it isn't completely evil dark bad being but also something who gives us extremely important challenges helps us to define ourselves as human beings challenge giver border definer but such a border that can be and should be broken by knowledge and love yeah not surprisingly also I've had my challenges with uh, Saturn and and the him and death all that uh, in everyday life, this aspect is uh, mostly comes to mind uh, precisely under some hardships or uh, heavy, heavy, um, heavy emotions. Uh, and uh, yeah, as I said, I struggle to find find the beauty in that, not only in like what it can lead to, but also in the kind of hell itself in a way as I presume that Master Satan also demands from us to embrace the, the whole and it's it's definitely definitely not not an easy task mm. one key that comes to mind again relates to the beauty of the night or as it said in the first Latin part, there's a quite of, there's quite a lot of Latin in this prayer, 
And the first one is uh, this Inomine Lucis Rationis Augustissime Fiat Nox, uh, meaning in the name of the most august light of reason, let there be night. And uh, sometimes I have, I'm not sure what will be the right word, feared or hesitated on on the moments of praying, let there be night. And then sometime I realized that the key to this issue is right before this, this invocation or evocation, let there be night. Uh, which is in the name of the most august light of reason. Again, it doesn't mean my reason <laughs> as a mm. as a uh, as my person, but but my my lower person kind of hands that authority to something higher. So my the kind of little little me doesn't have to worry about it because that. When he is, uh, when he trusts in that that higher, higher, uh, the most august light of reason, then nothing can go wrong with the wish that there shall be night. Very, very beautiful and and good thoughts that are easy to understand. Also in this particular uh, Sabbath hymn, so to say, Saturday is also the Sabbath. Uh, we can see most of the Old Testament uh, allusions or uh, Latin parts coming from the old parts of the Book of Job. Uh, also, we have this um, Hebrew saying of kadosh or holy like said the mm, sacred angels sacred animals sacred living beings in old testament when they with that voice uh, worshipped one god of being and also non-being since it's the absolute itself so in this hymn we hear very old, also grim and gloomy, but yet very vital and um, imminent powers present. It's also to myself uh, quite hard sometimes to get in the mood of this uh, hymn if uh, if For example, I'm feeling happy and things are flowing well. It might be hard to come back to this uh, evocation of eternal night every single sat- uh, Saturday. Uh, luckily, I'm a bit gloomy person myself, so it doesn't happen so often. But but still, I think it's very healthy for a person, at least for an occultist, To remind oneself that even in times when we are personally feeling happy, there is this gloom, this challenge in the world all the time, and we must uh, understand it and be aware 
uh, of it and try to work with it for it's very common things for profane people then when there is possibility to be happy we try to forget all that night and blackness in the world even though there are millions and millions of people and other beings who, who suffer from it but in the brotherhood we try to uh, not break ourselves because of that suffering but to remind ourselves that we have to work with it and work in the world where suffering is reality for so many beings it feels like this is becoming a commentary of the prayer more than anything but even so uh, I'll say that uh, on the end, end part of the Latin texts uh, is talked about the foundations um, I guess you could say foundations of death also uh, well anyway the meaning meaning as, as least the way I interpret it is that uh, how the, the foundation of death so to speak is also in the foundation of life and how these are connected please <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's very good that you came to that because just uh, was it yesterday when I, I was reading my Zohara Kabbalah texts I stumbled upon this part of De Profundis uh, prayer you know the one which is used uh, in Christianity and Judaism in, and in one way also in our own magical working uh, de profundis clamavia te domine from the depths I call upon thee Lord uh, and in Zohar it was commented that these profundis these uh, black depths are actually the those hard uh, wells of living waters they are the positive um, depths of one's heart so it's at the same time it's hell and it's heaven and this is a very important part of this text too that when we are going when we have gone deep enough into that essence of satan we reach the heaven like dante who went through hell and then found uh, in inversion at the center of the earth and then reached heavens yeah and even last time on the last episode we talked about death worship uh, and um, how how it can really be a beautiful and holy uh, so I also find it interesting that this prayer then also ends uh, so that we have first embraced death and seen how it is holy and how everything just has, has to die and then the last words uh, at least in the English translation are thus have the gates of death been opened unto thee or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death which kind of I interpret it as challenging the reader in a way that okay now you have 
you have you have seen seen the beauty of death and then kind of slaps you on the cheek and says mm. have you have you have you though mm. and it's kind of a also uh i don't know warning but but kind of reminds us not to go also not to go headfirst into these death embracing issues we have to still remain in awe as we are like before something that is just frightening and terrible and holy but also just pitch black do you remember the original context from the book of job when that is said i don't actually uh, it's the very crooks uh, the summit of the book when job has been cursing on, or has cursed god finally and then there is god who manifests himself to job like Krista, krishna to arjuna in a terrible shape that now you see me in my actual great terrible shape now to mention it it was also in a form of saturn uh, the form of um, devouring time in bhagavad gita but in book of job uh, god se- says uh, these words and then job is like humbled then now i have seen you actually oh god mm. now i have nothing to say against you because all this has become apparent so nothing is changed but a human being has experienced so terrible vision inner understanding of the world and its terrible majesty that we must worship in a way but then comes the final solution and god says in the book of job that you did well when you rose against me and this suffering and these people who tried to speak for me are the ones i punish because you shouldn't speak so but only job who accused me has done well so it's extremely satanic book of the bible Um, I know with this one, in approaching death, I even still have a hard time not thinking about death in very physical terms. Um, Getting anecdotal again, when I was younger, like I watched my dad die when I was 14. And so for me, the relationship to death has always been very... um, it's just always been there it's always been present you know even the first job i ever wanted seriously was to be a mortician i just always felt like witnessing death in that kind of form with somebody who was dear to me has always kind of changed the way that i view almost everything like i almost feel like death is a a constant shadow over my day i think about it almost all of the time to the point where at first i thought you know like i was kind of going crazy with that or my friends would be like wow you're really death obsessed like you turn everything into a topic about death or relate it to death but that's just how it's always been so within the brotherhood like seeing the concept of death worship to me that was really important on that physical level and that psychological level and it was probably the first um sorry my cat's trying to get in um it was probably the first time that i was able to actually look at how I was viewing death 
in uh, in more of like a healing holistic way. So I still have a hard time thinking about it in um, like metaphysical terms, but I've really been trying to apply it to viewing the ways that death is is healthy and necessary in the in the cycle of things and in the cycle of creation and how everything must come to an end and and apply that not only physically but also metaphysically in my own life and seeing how the death currents resonate within just everything that I do, like what parts of myself need to die over and over again on a daily basis, sometimes by the hour, you know, all those, that pettiness that I have to try and and destroy that sometimes threatens to consume me, how every moment we're asked to, to kill something in ourselves or have something die naturally. And I just think that, um, this hymn has really helped me get closer to that, not just physically, but spiritually as well. Maybe there's no need to go to it too lengthily now, but uh, I will just mention briefly that somehow, again, on a very uh, intuitive level, the connection between this mentioned Kama Manas or, or uh, more logical intelligence and death is, is very, uh, it makes sense. Um, and also how this Kama Manasik tendency is very, uh, it's a very uh, defining thing of our times. And at least you have Johannes said that our, uh, that uh, it almost feels like even the occult work nowadays is basically a Kama Manasik process of uh, transforming that into manas or maybe this is not the right way to say it but it, it's kind of uh, going through kama manas to manas in a way in very simplified mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, verbalization would be kind of a picture of of the occult work as well or a picture of our times where we are where we are headed maybe trying to transmute that more logical physical Mm, structural mechanistic intelligence into something that's more liquid and all encompassive is that the right word <clears throat> yeah sounds right it, i'm the wrong person to ask but <laughs> it, sounds- it just came to my mind uh, from what you said that actually the vo- the voice of silence uh, begins with this teaching that mind is the great slayer of real and this mind that is the slayer the death of reality is the karma manas our human mind that uh, makes for us impossible to see the spiritual hold because our brain functions with these uh, dichotomies and uh, time separated events If nothing else, maybe sun then. So let's close the circle with the Sunday's hymn. It happens to be Sunday today also when we record this episode. Shall I or shall someone else? <clears throat> we don't have even a number of hymns for everyone. Are there eager <laughs> sun worshippers here?
would you rather not read it? Uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of this particular hymn. So if there are bigger fans, I can... I can read it if you want. I'm I'm okay to read it. Okay. Please, please do. I do have the sun sigil tattooed on my chest. That's right. So this is Hymn to the Prince of Countenances. Lux mundi in cor meam emite spiritum sanctum tum. Lord of the shining face, the blazing divine dragon of wisdom. Metatron, agla, methon, verbum, serpons, deus, meos. You are the shepherd of stars and the rock of spirits. Magister noster, qui es in corde meo, sanctificatur virtutem tum, adveniet regnum tum, ad perpetranta miraculas rea unias. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, you said you haven't been traditionally a big fan of the sun. It was also the only archetype hymn that was missing from the first versions of Phosphorus. It was only added afterwards. In a in a way it can be um, it it can be said that it's missing on purpose because the first editions were more of the left hand path emphasis and sun is can, or can be seen more like a right hand path emphasis uh, of course nowadays when the brotherhood is well balanced it's also very important to have the hymn for the sun there and we know that also sun has its sinister face its sorat spirit that it's quite merciless and even a hellish archetype so it has this left-hand path allure for those who crave for sinister demonic entities by the way i have to say that i i loved polyhymnia's latin pronunciation it was like almost like chanting i i have to hear more of that later <laughs> Thank you. I've been taking a Latin course. But honestly, I haven't even looked through the hymns and tried to apply what I've learned. So anything that you're picking up is just intuitive. So I hope that that it's okay. Most most definitely. And I think that you brought into it uh, all these hymns, Latin parts, some of that South European, uh, m more magical, like uh, evoke evocative quantity perhaps we who re read them in a more strict manner may even uh, lose some of that magical feeling of the hymns would you dare to say that here in the northern europe we don't speak it in a in an elegant way like they do in, I, the, in I, the, where, where this language was invented i think it's because uh for example i have studied latin in university it was for some, some time my major and they teach you the very <laughs> dry classic latin like it should be used 
uh, like it was used 2000 years ago but this more chanting version it's the living version that was used when the hymns were uh, used in a magical working in like medieval times and uh, renaissance times and so on so i think it's closer to our feeling heart uh, whereas our um, trier classic latin might be more roman and structural but i think both are quite right in school i don't even think we have the option for learning the classical latin we're told like immediately that this is just a, a form of working latin which was the biggest disappointment i, I had texted <laughs> you that right upon hearing it i was like wow this is the biggest disappointment of my life is that i'm just learning working latin that was when i decided school was a waste of time <laughs> <laughs> but i guess back to the hymn <laughs> yeah well, i guess it it has to do with my mm, long time fascination and even even uh, relation to this, at least to certain um, versions of Christianity. Uh, I am not a not a Christian. Haven't been a member of this church since I was was eighteen. But uh, but I have uh, learned to see some some uh, beautiful things in in some churches after like abandoning them totally first uh, in my youth for example praying on Sundays somehow feels very intuitive like it is traditionally that day you go to church well I guess it's Saturday in some cases but anyway at least in, in Finland usually the masses are on, on Sunday and on, on some some notion like that I I tend now that I think of it it feels a bit like taking a part of of some religious practice but as a as a heretic because I'm 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 not a not I don't have anything to do re really with these churches but but praying this prayer on a Sunday somehow feels right in a kind of heretical way I don't know again if it makes any sense but but to me it's always very kind of mm, it's it's a very warm feeling warm feeling often to pray this on on a sunday and it's also of course the closure of the week and and all that and it's the as it said rock of spirits it's kind of a gener general feeling of god maybe something like that i don't know if if i managed to make a point here but but yeah, I'm not a sun hater. In in both good and bad, the sun presents to ourselves so so many sub archetypes. In in it are all the six others. Of course, uh, in all the archetypes, the other archetypes are included. But in sun, it might be the most obvious because sun is like we scientifically known the very center of our solar system. And uh, I think if, for example, Christians would have to think 
God with some uh, celestial influences, they would most definitely identify him with sun. Also, there is in the end of this hymn a part of uh, a prayer that has been also released, at least in Finnish contexts, as a prayer of its own, this Magister Noster prayer, or I guess you could say it rather than what I just said, that parts of this Magister Noster prayer has been taken into this. Uh, the uh, ending lines, uh, which in English translate Our master who art in the heart of mine, hallowed be thy virtue, thy kingdom come to accomplish the miracles of unity. So basically uh, a new version of the Pater Noster or Our Father prayer. Again, this is something that I have taken as part of my uh, morning prayer, this this very part of the Magister Noster prayer. It's composed of two parts of brotherhood, uh, magical prayers. One part is the so-called Gnostic prayer, which is, for example, published in our Salome blog some time ago. And also there is part of this motto of the white aspect, Ad perpetranda miraculare unius, the alchemical saying from the Tabulas Maragrina, the emerald tablet, that thus are the uh, miracles of one being accomplished. So it's uh, coming back to unity, oneness in one's heart. Once again, that heart chamber. You look like you are about to say something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I was just thinking about how, like that, that miracle of unity, and how when I first approached this hymn, I thought that this would be the hymn that resonated the most with me, um, just because I've always seen myself as being like driven by the sun, like even from from a young age, just loved the sun. But I find it really interesting that when I first recited this hymn, I felt quite uh, quite a distance within myself when reciting it. I felt really far removed from it, and I was really kind of shocked about that. And as I progressed with the hymn, like that, that doesn't really exist anymore, but I found it interesting that I was so drawn to the moon hymn, the Monday hymn. So it was almost like it... it forced me to look at those balances and invite some of that lunar essence more so into my path and to focus less on on the sun well not focus less on it but just ensure that that balance was happening with the sun and the moon and those energies um also my brother's name is in this hymn so when i like first read it i was just like oh yes like this hymn has so many synchronicities with me my brother's uh, name is melchizedek so I but yeah I know he has a really cool name and I hate him a little bit because of it but <laughs> but <laughs> it was to... mind it wasn't that way that, that was a extremely good notion that this hymn uh, gives us like a challenging um, aspect of the sun I I I have felt the same but never be able to express it so but yeah there is this distance and that forces you to 
see also the other way, the moon way, the left way. I, I think it's it or becomes quite obvious if you use this hymn, and it's something that is understandable because of our Satanism and the credo of the Star of Azazel as uniting of the hands of the sun path and the moon path. Even on a, it's interesting to observe, even on a physical level, I'm kind of being forced to distance myself from the sun um, to an extent because the sun is now my arch nemesis physically. It's the the one thing like heat causes me to like disable quite fast. So if I'm in the sun for any extended period of time, like my function completely ceases just about. So that's, it's interesting to note that uh, it's also a physical thing for me. Somebody who is self-professed sun worshiper, sun lover. But yeah, it's it's funny how life balances you that way. Funny and horrible, but those are the challenges that Satan likes to give to us. Or perhaps doesn't like, but we somehow ask for those possibilities for quicker learning. And here the Sanskrit correspondence is prana, the life force, and again makes sense since prana also can be said to be kind of a principle within principles that vitalizes all the other other principles. Especially if we remember the esoteric instructions idea that which is seen as prana or life force in our physical existence is seen as jiva or the energetic soul in the spiritual existence. So what is jiva above is prana below. And jiva is even a principle that is very connected to Atman itself, the very soul of the world. But I think even though our listeners might feel that they have been led to some kind of labyrinth where <laughs> every corridor leads to six other corridors, uh, that that's also the whole point that there are no easy answers but one must go through and through many times and meditate these things and slowly they start to make sense on some other level than our mechanical everyday school kind thinking. The parrot must be killed. I felt that precisely my my uh, own occult path hasn't been that much about gaining new information but more about first having read about these certain things such as these principles and then those principles becoming more alive and my own understanding of what they actually are or might be just deepens and it, it all becomes more and more concrete 
I found that uh, this pranic aspect for myself, um, just even in terms of my physical body and, and how that fits with my astral body, uh, with my yogic practice, like prana is the breath and having to apply that like not only physically when breathing in during my yogic practice and applying it to those chakric energy centers but finding how they apply within everything that we've been speaking about as well and trying to find those correspondences it's been like a really holistic journey in that sense of and being comfortable in that breath i think that's one thing that we don't necessarily observe on a physical level even is the extent of our breath the capacity that we can hold within our breath um i have really bad anxiety so i find that oftentimes my breath is really shallow and i find that that translates even into my spiritual life not even just on a physical there's always like these very shallow thoughts or shallow not shallow thoughts but it, it's almost like that i'm not thinking about the capacity in which to grow within these different elements and I find adding the physical practice has really helped me be mindful of the spiritual practice because they are one and the same in many ways. So. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was thinking to ask like how, how all this comes into practice, but it was pretty much answered without me making the question. So if you have any ideas to add on how to uh, channel this into practical work, feel free. But other than that, I think we are quite done. I had my final words. Yeah. <laughs> we can end it here then. Thank you again for listening. More info at theserpentandthestar.com.